All right, this is episode 16, and we're going to read from Bran's perspective. We're going to start on page 169. And uh, this is an interesting chapter because we're going to learn more of Bran's backstory and why he really respected and admired Miss Bixby. You're going to learn about his story and kind of empathize with how hard it is, but how great Miss Bixby was at just the right time she would come and help him. So she's a great teacher. You see um, it from his perspective. You'll also see that there's a little silver lining. There's something that's going to happen in this chapter where uh, you might see the boy's uh, day kind of change. So stick with it, enjoy, and start on one page 69. He fell, and it ruined everything. The second fall was worse than the first. The first wasn't his fault. The first was an accident. Blame the scaffold. Blame the faulty bolts holding it together. Blame God, maybe, if that's your thing. But I couldn't blame Dad. Not for that one. The second fall was much slower, but somehow to me, at least, it hurt a lot more. Unlike the first fall that broke his spine, my dad's other fall, the downward spiral that came after, was harder to measure, but I sensed it happening every day. The first few months back at home were right out of daytime talk shows of reality TV and inspirational moments with Oprah or whatever. There were interviews with the paper, Dad and me on local news, even a visit from last year's Miss Decatur County. Who kissed my father on the cheek for the cameras? Neighbors who'd never even bothered to get to know left casseroles on our doorstep, like peace offerings. The phone rang off the hook with well-wishers. Reverend Galbreath of the local Methodist church stopped by for a visit, which was funny since my father hadn't stepped foot in a church since he was baptized. The construction company my father worked for sent flowers every day for a week. A local auto body shop volunteered to put a hand-controlled accelerated braking system in our car so that dad could still drive even without the use of his legs. The insurance company consoled us with warm smiles and promises of monthly direct deposits. The medicine chest was stuffed. Dad took it all in stride. But um bum he was pretty gracious. He forgave the construction company for making him a paraplegic, what though not legally, of course. Legally, they were still very much to blame. He ate the casseroles and took all the medicines in the proper dosages and did the physical therapy. He made progress, recovering a little function in his legs. The doctors were pleased, full of cautious smiles and hearty handshakes. They were good. There was a good chance with a lot of physical therapy and rehabilitation that Abe Walker would get the use of his legs back. It would have made a great headline for the local section of the paper. Walker walks again. Then it all started to slide. The casseroles dwindled. 
the news reporters found something else to talk about. The women who rescued the drowning puppies, the couple with sextuplets and appointments were missed. Some of the medications were ignored. Others were taken a little more regularly than they should have been. The voicemail filled up with doctor's office reminders. My father adapted to his new life. We put a mini-fridge next to the recliner, itself sitting next to the wheelchair. Our cable plan was upgraded to add more channels, and the medicine chest got moved into a big white plastic bucket by the fridge. Days passed, then weeks, then months. The bills got paid through direct withdrawals, and the television stayed on for 24 hours. I started doing everything around the house. I learned how to use the stove, burning myself only once, bad enough to leave a scar on my hand. I learned how to do the laundry and fold the sheets the best I could, though I only changed them on my bed. Dad slept in his chair most nights. Some weeks, things didn't get done. Scrubbing the toilets, taking out the recycling, writing my school science report. I changed the light bulbs in three rooms we used. The insurance company deposited the checks. I did the dishes. Dad sat and watched the history channel. Deposit, wash, sit, watch, withdraw, repeat. For a while, I tried. I asked him if he wanted to go out. I told him I, wouldn't, I, I would help him with the walker or even push him in the chair. We could drive to the movies or go to the pond or let the fish steal our worms. We wouldn't have to go far. Wouldn't even have to see anyone if he didn't want to. Dad wasn't exactly comfortable around people. The way they kept looking at his legs. Like they were afraid they'd leap up and bite him or something. It could just be the two of us. Maybe later, he said. Maybe later came and went. On Meet the Teacher Night this year, I walked myself to school. I sat with Topher and his parents, and they bought me a Fox Ridge Wildcats bumper sticker to put on our car that never moved. We ate cheap hot dogs and cookies in the cafeteria. That night, Miss Bixby introduced herself to me for the first time. She was wearing a crimpy yellow dress that Sounded like sandpaper scratching when she walked, and her brand new pink hair had been tamed with a clip. Clip. She shook my hand and asked me if I was there by myself, and I said yes. She said that was all right. Then she would help me. That, if I needed anything at all, to just ask. For the record, I never did. Ask her, that is. She volunteered. For the record, it was all her idea. I should have come alone. That's all I can think of as we board the bus. That if I had just come by myself, it wouldn't matter whether I would when went through this or not. Nobody would know. Not even Miss Bixby. But the truth is I was scared, afraid of what she would think if it was just me. 
that she would get the wrong idea, scared of what she would look like, scared that she might have, you know, she might be hooked up to one of those machines, the tubes in her arms, snaked up to her nostrils, pulsating, beeping, wheezing, scared that she would look like my father right after the accident practically bolted to his bed, unable to move for fear of damaging his spine any further, drinking ice water through chapped lips and blinking at me through scarred, swollen eyes, wanting to know what happened. Then I remembered what she told us about how, about how she would spend her last day, and I thought, that's it, That this will be perfect. We can make it perfect. But I couldn't do it by myself. I knew as soon as I told them my idea that Topher would go for it. It was an adventure, and even if it wasn't, he would turn it into one. And if he was in it, Steve was in. Because if I had learned anything about the two of them, it was that Steve worshipped Topher the way Topher worshipped every comic book hero he'd ever met. Besides, I knew Miss Bixby meant something to them too, though it wasn't the same. It couldn't possibly be the same. They didn't understand why I needed to go, but that wasn't their fault. I never bothered to explain, not just about Miss Bixby, but all of it, why I'm always asking if I can come over to their houses on the weekends instead of the other way around, why I always needed a ride to go somewhere, why I sometimes punch the walls at school hard enough to skin my knuckles. I never bothered to explain why I needed to see her so bad. Of course, it doesn't matter now. We get on the bus that will take us back to school and Steve helping Topher up the steps. It's hard to tell how much his ankle hurts him. He can be melodramatic, but I can tell it's swollen. He could probably use an ice pack and some painkillers. If he were at my house, he'd be set. One oxycodone and it would do it. My father wouldn't miss it. He got a three-month supply. (sighs) Topher takes an empty seat and motions for Steve to sit next to him. He's mad at me. Topher for yelling at him for giving up, maybe even about the sketchbook still. Steve doesn't seem angry, he just seems worried, like always. But I sit in the chair, seat across from them, but scoot all the way over, leaving room for an imaginary fourth person between us. The fourth musketeer, maybe, but really, I just need some space. Steve gets on his phone, mutters something about the battery nearly being dead, then shuts it off and stuffs it back into his pocket. Without it, his hands don't seem to know what to do, so they start fiddling with the zipper on his backpack, and I shift and look out the window, press my face against it. My cheeks are hot and wet, and the glass is cool, and I could feel the vibrations of the bus's engines rattle my teeth. It's quiet save for the bus's rumble. Nobody on the bus is talking. That's absolutely fine. I'm used to the quiet. 
I've learned to cope without conversation. Even on those Friday evenings with Miss Bixby, there would sometimes be stretches of silence, riding in her car, watching the sky change colors, and thinking that I wasn't ready to go home, even though I knew I had to. Those days with her just felt different. They felt better. (laughs) It felt like I was in some magical space where time stood still, where nothing bad could happen. They were almost perfect. That's what today was supposed to be. That's what hurt so much. Across the aisle by the opposite window, Topher leans his head back. He glances over at me as if confirming that I'm still there, then looks straight ahead. Who do you think will win in a fight, Wolverine or Captain America? He says. He's not talking to either of us in particular. He's just throwing it out there, cutting the silence, filling the space. I keep my head pressed to the window, making wishes on passing cars. I mean, Wolverine's claws could probably just cut right through Cap's shield, wouldn't you think? He adds. I don't respond. I won't respond. But naturally, Steve takes the bait. Doubtful. Wolverine's claws were made of... Adamadium. Captain America's shield is made out of proto-adamadium, which is better than regular adamadium. This is the reason you will never have a girlfriend, I think. But I wouldn't say that to Steve. He doesn't seem all that interested in girls anyways. Yes. Topher says, still looking at the seat in front of him. But you're forgetting the awesome factor. Captain America's a goody-two-shoes dweeb in, with goofy little wings on his head that don't even help him fly. Wolverine has killer sideburns and a better backstory. Wolvie beats him on coolness alone. Superheroes are not traditionally rated on their coolness Steve says. Everyone is rated on their coolness, Topher replies. What about Thor versus Cap? Thor's a god, Steve replies. He could beat up anybody. So does that mean he could beat up Jesus? Topher presses. I laugh. Okay, (laughs) I don't really laugh, but I sort of snort at least. Enough that Topher knows I'm listening. He doesn't look at me still, but he smiles. I don't think Jesus and Thor would even fight. Steve says, that's not Jesus' style. Topher nods, conceding the point. Part of me wants to ignore them, to keep looking out the window, to shut myself out and be alone, but I can't help it. Topher has somehow suckered me in too. What if Jesus had Thor's, Thor's hammer? He was a carpenter, right? Both of them twist around to look at me, a little surprised that I joined the conversation after storming off and shouting at them before. Steve shakes his head. Theologically speaking, billions of people currently believe in Jesus, and probably only a handful still worship Thor. Advantage, Jesus. I don't argue. Steve goes to Mass every Sunday, so he's probably... Uh, 
the one who knows better. Dad had an entire church come to the house once, the whole congregation showing up in a long white bus. It was right after the accident. They stood on the front lawn and sang a song called Rise Up, and I don't think they were being ironic. They really thought he might do it. All right, I've got one, Steve says. Legolas versus Hawkeye. Unfair comparison, Topher says. Legolas is immortal. Not if you stick him full of arrows, he isn't, Steve counters. Especially those ones Hawkeye has that can explode. You'd have little elf chunks flying everywhere. Elf chunks? For some reason, I find this funny too. Doesn't matter, Topher says. Legolas is eternal. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get sick. Even if you kill him, his spirit comes back like Obi-Wan Kenobi, who will live forever no matter what. As soon as he says it, Topher frowns. Steve pushes his glasses back up on his nose. A long silence follows, and I look back out the window and up at the sky. The clouds have cleared out now, making room for endless waves of blue. And I wonder, what is it about clouds that makes people think of heaven? Maybe just they're in the way and there's maybe something else up there? Suddenly, there's a gurgled growl coming from Steve, loud enough for me to hear from across the aisle. Dude, was that you? Topher asked. I haven't eaten since breakfast. It's already past noon, Steve says, holding his stomach with both hands like he's afraid it's going to pop and go looking for food on its own. I guess we didn't think about lunch, Topher says. Then he turns and looks down at the floorboards, and I realize that he what he's looking at. Steve's backpack and the bent white box stuffed inside. $25 is a lot to waste, Steve says. I mean, if nobody else is going to eat it. He means Miss Bixby. They both look at me because I paid for most of it or because the whole thing was my idea, the whole cake, the whole everything. She wouldn't want it to go to waste, Topher says. That's true. She was a firm believer in making the most of things. I don't say yes, but I don't say no either. I just shrug. I already feel sick to my stomach. I can't bear the thought of eating anything. The bus pulls up to the next stop and Steve starts to unzip his backpack. Shimming the dilapidated box free, Topher starts to dig into his pack for the plates he brought. We have nothing to wash it down with, just one empty wine glass. I figure I'll try a bite, though, for Miss Bixby's sake, just to see if Eduardo was right. I look over to Steve, who has his hand on either side of the box, but he's not opening it. Instead, he's looking up from the front of the bus. His eyebrows shoot skyward. He drops, slinking behind the brown vinyl seat in front of him, 
pulling Topher alongside and hissing at me to do the same. Get down! What? What is, what is it? I ducked behind my seat, wondering what in the name of Michelle's white chocolate raspberry supreme cheesecake he saw. Someone from school? A teacher? Mr. Mac? Or maybe it's his parents? They found out he was skipping and they're on the hunt to hunt him down? Or maybe the cashier from the liquor store called the cops and they're looking for us? Or maybe it's just Steve's turn to be melodramatic. I peek over the top of the seat in front of me. My jaw drops. I can hardly believe our luck. You could say Miss Bixby saved me, but that would be melodramatic. All she did was pick me up. It was a matter of luck. She found me in a snowstorm, up to my knees, six grocery bags hanging from my arms and wrists. I'm not sure how she spotted me. Probably recognized my coat or the hat that I wore. Blue and a white, yellow, floppy fuzzball on top and a giant <laughs> ear flap that nearly hit my shoulders. Burrowed out of the closet, borrowed out of the closet from my dad. She found me and she pulled over and opened her window and called my name and I didn't want to stop because I figured she would ask me all sorts of questions. It wasn't school. I wasn't, it wasn't school. We weren't in class and I didn't have to explain to her or to anyone. So I trudged on pretending not to notice her. But then she honked her horn and leaned over and said, do you need a ride? I wasn't sure what I needed, but I looked at her car and its heater and music both blasting and the mile of foot-high snow I still had to trudge through and figured a ride wouldn't hurt, just this once. And that's how it started, between me and Miss Bixby. She just happened to be passing by. I feel a warmth surge through me. It's him. The last one in the line of oncoming passengers, torn jeans and a blue shirt. One hand holding a brown paper bag. Dragon clawing its way up his arm. George Nelson. The flipwad who stole our money and ruined our day. But I don't really see him. What I see is Miss Bixby pulling up alongside the road and asking me if I need a ride. I see her tapping on the steering wheel to one of her favorite songs. I see her standing over me, both hands on my shoulders, telling me that sometimes you're beat before you even get started. But it doesn't matter. You keep going, no matter what. And I realize the days... Not over yet. Wow, you didn't expect to see him there, did you? So George Nelson is on the bus and the boys were just about to call it a quits. And then they see the guy who stole their money and ruined their plan. Uh, not sure what's gonna happen here but uh 
he's right there and he does not notice these three boys. So we'll see what happens in the next episode.